Heads up, because you are in the Hoodwood. I'm the Black Bandit, KJ Green, welcoming you to another edition of Sports in the Hoodwood for September 29th, 2022. Coming up this week, is college football's playoff limited to one realistic open spot a year? Is the media more focused on the dalliances of Ime Udoka than real crimes by Brett Favre? Have a look at the NFL Week 4. Only get better. That dap, it's lap, the wood high five, and a final word about toxic sports culture. I'm coming at you. Strap yourself in, you crash helmet on. Wood is coming at you. Let's go. You're tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood. The internet's foremost location for the most honest, unfiltered commentary and insight on the world of sports. Now, once again, here's Hoodwood's hometown hero, K.J. Green. J. Green, welcoming you back to another edition of Sports from the Hood. Well, let's get started. Hit the ground running with a look at the college football playoff. Four teams for now that we've already talked about. They're going to expand to 12, and I like that. I've already made that point well established here in the Hoodwood. But let's keep it on the 100-100, like the kids say. Is there only one spot available? One. We all know the usual suspects, Georgia, Alabama, and your occasional ACC champ, Clemson, Ohio State, one of them two possibly, if not both. So is there only one spot left? And why is that? Inquiring minds want to know. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Georgia. They're the defending national champs. They are a good team. No one takes any away, anything away from them. At least I don't for the moment. Though I loathe, really loathe to say it right now, Alabama could possibly be the number two team. Possibly. Though we could shake it up in the Hoodwood Hot Five. Foreshadowing, hint, hint, hint. Then you have possibly Clemson. Now, Clemson Alabama, Georgia have all won national titles within the last five years. Then you have possibly Ohio State. Again, nothing wrong with any of those teams individually, but as a collective. Are we really limiting the participation in the CFP already to four preordained teams? You have a wild card, a, 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 an outlier every now and then. Cincinnati went 13-0. They were really hard to ignore because they were the nation's only undefeated team. To leave them out of the playoff would have called serious credibility to the CFP as being an old boys club. Cincinnati did what they had to do, albeit having to go to Indiana and to Notre Dame and running the table in the American Conference, and then beating a good Houston team to win their way into the CFP as the number four team. So they got beat by Alabama 27-6. That's not the point. Getting there is the whole thing. What you do once you get on that stage, I think it's secondary. But the point is this. Why is Alabama always predetermined to have the number two team right out of the the gate? Now, Georgia, as the defending national champion, more or less should have a leg up. It's their crown until someone takes it from them. I I don't fault them for that at all. Now, you're going to have Georgia and Alabama likely in the SEC title game in Atlanta again come December. Unless you have a team like Kentucky, 
Tennessee, maybe, or some other wild card out of the SEC. Arkansas has eliminated itself, I think. And Texas A&M, they've got to go to Tuscaloosa. Good luck. Auburn, not this year. But you look at it, the way it's been set up the last few years, it seems like there's already been a preordained two or three teams already sitting in those in those high chairs that are waiting for a fourth team. Now, who could be that fourth, fourth team? Michigan, possibly. Uh, there, there are a, I mean, there are a, a few candidates that you could put in that fourth slot. But right now, there's only four or five teams that are even, even on the radar for the CFP playoff. No, I mean, and I, I know that's, that's almost like we're being redundant saying CFP playoff, CFP. But there's only four teams, four or five teams that have a legitimate chance to even be considered. Is that right? Now, we know this is going to be rectified, hopefully, when the CFP expands to 12 teams, something that I have long advocated. But is that going to be a building advantage for the SEC? A failsafe for second and third place teams in the respective divisions who don't get to the conference championship to have a backdoor in to the CFP. I really hope that they don't do something like that. It makes it an SEC invitational tournament, and I don't want that. I want the best, the six teams that have won their way in and six at-large teams the six remaining best teams in the country, not the six remaining teams that three in the SEC and two in the Big Ten and, and one in the ACC. No, that's not the way this should work. Right now, the CFP is limited to one open spot. One. Georgia and Alabama have already taken it and I almost pretty much guarantee you have a third between either Clemson or Ohio State, one of the two if not both. And if it's both of them in, you've got nobody else in. What what good is that? I mean, you already know who's going to make the CFP in September. Shifting gears to media criticism. And I don't consider myself a part of the media. I consider myself just a, a scribe that speaks the truth. And I've done some reading, done some research, and the whole thing with Ime Udoka, a coach of the Celtics who has been suspended for a year because of sexual dalliances within his office, the way the rumors have been going that he's had some sort of encounter with people who've been in, you know, subordinates to him. Messing around in the workplace is dangerous. You mess around with somebody that you work with, you're asking for trouble. Now, I can speak from experience, not because I've gotten in any trouble. Princess Katie, I met her mother, somebody I worked with. But that was 27 years ago. Never done it again since. But I digress. Ime Udoka messed around on his uh, fiance, well, I believe it was his fiance, Nia Long. How can you tell? Excuse me. It doesn't make any sense. And, and, and I've seen guys mess around on beautiful women before. Uh, the Dave, David Justice, Halle Berry thing comes to mind right off the top. You don't know what's going on between two consenting adults. You know, they may look beautiful together, but the female may be crazy. I'm not justifying what, what uh, Udoka did. Not in the least. One, you don't mess around on your, on your fiancés. Two, you don't mess around with somebody you work with. That being said, the Celtics suspended Udoka for a year. 
Joe Mazzulla is going to be taking over the Celtics for the for the coming season. He's been thrown basically to the wolves, and he's going to get you know for better or for worse, he's going to have to clean up this mess on the court, of course. That being said, what Udoka did, whether you approve it, disapprove it, or what it, what the Celtics did or whatever, it makes no sense why it's getting so much press run. Everybody's been talking about it. I'm talking about it now. That being said, why is it that Udoka's dalliances are getting more press run than Brett Favre? Now, I speak about Brett Favre. He was longtime Green Bay Packers quarterback. He quarterbacked my Vikings for a couple of years, played a year at the Jets, Hall of Famer. But he has, he is getting, he is a part of some real crimes. And I'm not talking about some of the stupidity things that he has done. You know, uh, um, sexual harassment, drugs, those have been real issues that Brett Favre has had to deal with. And I'm not downplaying playing those. I'm just saying that isn't as big as what he's looking at now. We're talking about real financial crimes. And working with the former governor of Mississippi to try to funnel funds from a welfare fund to him in a slush fund to try to fund a volleyball arena for his alma mater, which his daughter is now going to Southern Mississippi. And the questions were asked, is this illegal? Can they do this quietly? Brett Favre knew what he was doing. Brett Favre knew that if it was uncovered, what he did would be, would have serious repercussions. And the manner in which this money has been shifted in Mississippi, which is long been known as one of the poorest states in the nation, if not the poorest state, and has one of the highest rates of welfare recipients in the country. Money being moved. Now, comparing one to the other is like apples to oranges. But the media's fascination with the sexual dalliances or an affair of a basketball coach not trying to get political, is almost the same as the media's fascination with the whole Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky thing. Was it stupid? It was stupid. Did it rise to the level of impeachment? No. Should anybody beyond Hillary Clinton have cared about that? No. It's the same thing with Udoka. Should anybody care beyond his fiance? Should the Boston Celtics have suspended him for a year for this? <sighs> Conduct unbecoming, if especially if it was a subordinate, that could run the level of sexual harassment. Even if it was consensual, consensual, consenting adults and consensual acts, you're still asking. It's, oh, it's still a messy situation. That being said, why is it getting so much media run? Why should anyone care? Why should anyone even really care? When you have something to the level of financial impropriety, felony impropriety going on with a Hall of Famer trying to divert funds or trying to get money for things that he didn't do to get funneled to his alma mater and somewhere where his daughter is currently enrolled. There's something that's really, really, really wrong with this and that it's not getting the exposure that it does, it's supposed to is a real problem and that 
more outlets need to be speaking up on that. You do a Google search on it now, you might get a few hits now, but not as many as you were getting a couple of days ago, a week ago, and this has been known for a while. This whole Udoka thing, in the grand scheme of things, means nothing. This Brett Favre thing will affect a lot of people, and it needs to be exposed for what it is. Stick time out. Come back with the NFL Week 4 predictions. Lord, last week was an absolute dumpster fire. But we're going to get better with sports when the Hillbilly comes back at you. into Sports from the Hoodwood, the Internet's premier destination for no-nonsense commentary, thorough analysis, and logical insight on the world of sports. Now here's the man that Wikipedia and Google call for sports fact-checks, your host, K.J. Green. You are back in the Hoodwood, and let's get to the NFL Week 4 pick, and let's call it what it was. We thought we were too stunk. And week three was a garbage dump downwind in a heat wave in July. Oh, boy. My, my picks were worse than that Sunday night clunker and the first two and a half quarters of that Monday night aberration. But seeing that we can go nowhere but up, uh, let's get to the picks for your review, perusal, and approval. Now, all the times I'll be listing are in Eastern Daylight Time. Check your local listings or consult the 506.com website, which has a wonderful coverage map of the games that are being shown over air in your area. Note if you are in the Miami or Cincinnati area or the uh, Twin Cities or New Orleans areas, those games will be provided to you locally as per NFL broadcast rules. Do check your local listings for the stations in your respective areas. Also note this is uh, the first of five international games being played this season. And the Vikings-Saints game will be kicking off at 2.30 Greenwich Meridian time, which is what the time difference makes for football for breakfast for most of the country. Eyes, as usual, being provided by ESPN for comparison and entertainment purposes only. And you always bet at your own risk. And with the way these picks have been falling lately, you really are taking your chances. So don't look at me to pay your bookie if you bet the lines and lose. Let's lead off with the Thursday night game, shall we? The Thursday night game is the 3-0 Dolphins taking on the 1-2 Bengals. Game being played at Paycor Stadium in Cincinnati, 8-15 p.m. kickoff on Amazon Prime. The Bengals are 3.5-point favorites. Last week, the Dolphins defeated the Bills 21-19, while the Bengals defeated the Jets 27-12. Now, the Dolphins won a taut match in South Beach and now head to the Queen City to face the defending AFC champion Bengals who look more the part after systematic dismantling of the Jets in Gotham. Now, the Bengals kept Joe Burrow upright. He only took two sacks last week, but he will face an aggressive Dolphins defense, and the Bengals will have their hands full dealing with Tua Tagovailoa. 
he is getting more and more locked into the QB position, and that makes for problems for a Cincinnati defense weakened by the loss of DJ Reader. This will be a tight, entertaining game to be sure, but I think the Bengals will continue to bounce back at home and will escape with a narrow win. The pick here is Cincinnati. Let's move to the Sunday game, shall we? This is a CBS doubleheader week. The first game, though, is on NFL Network as the 2-1 Vikings take on the 1-2 Saints. Game being played at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, 9.30 a.m. Eastern. Kickoff, again, mentioned on NFL Network. The Vikings are two-and-a-half-point favorites. Last week, the Vikings defeated the Lions 28-24, while the Saints lost to the Panthers 22-14. Season's first international game as a pair of teams who are still trying to find their way. Now, the Vikings dawdled most of their game against the Lions before pulling out a dramatic victory. The Saints, on the other hand, looked offensively sluggish and can't keep hoping that their defense can keep bailing them out of games. The Vikings need to get their running game on track, though, which might be tough to do with Dalvin Cook nursing a shoulder injury. Betting on Kirk Cousins is always risky, <laughs> but betting on Jameis Winston is even riskier. I'm still not convinced that the Vikings can win away from the friendly confines of U.S. Bank Stadium. But I'll take my chances here. The pick here is Minnesota. Now, games back on the mainland. We start with the 2-1 Browns at the 1-2 uh, Falcons. Game being played at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Browns are favored by a point and a half. Last week, the Browns defeated the Steelers 29-17, while the Falcons defeated the Seahawks. 27-23. Both these teams come off of surprising wins. The Browns look effortless in thumping the Steelers, while the Falcons won a back-and-forth game in Seattle. Points should not be a worry, as both teams can readily score. The Browns, the rugged running of Nick Chubb notwithstanding, are very banged up, but I can't trust the Falcons, who are about as inconsistent as the definition will allow. Not like the Browns are a vast inconsistency themselves, this is a coin flip game to be sure I will go against my better judgment and take the Cleveland Browns. Next game on the docket is the 1-2 Commanders at the 2-1 Cowboys. Game being played at AT&T Stadium in Arlington Stadium, Arlington, Stadium, Arlington Texas. I'm falling over my words here. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. Cowboys are three-point favorites. Last week, Commanders lost to the Eagles 24-8. Wild Cowboys defeated the Giants 23-16. It's old rivalry with a new name. The Pokes woke for my slumbering performance in Gotham to beat the G-Man, while the Commanders' offense went AWOL last week at home against the Eagles. While I'm no Cooper Rush fan, he has Pokes playing decently, and the shine is coming off fast on Carson Wentz. Pokes always look good at home. The pick is Dallas. Next on the docket, we have the 1-2 Seahawks taking on the 1-2 Lions. Game being played at Ford Field in Detroit. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Lions are four-point favorites. Last week, the Seahawks lost to the Falcons 27-23, while the Lions lost to the Vikings 28-24. Now, both teams lost very winnable games. I'm not sure which team is real, really real. Now, the Seahawks' sputtering quarterback play has made them an extremely risky pick especially on the road, but the Lions are about as risky as the definition will allow. The offense, when rolling, has high point potential, but their coaches make foolish gambles on certain plays, and that does cost them points, and in the case last week, games. West Coast teams going east for early games always worry me, but I'll take a chance, and I'll probably regret it. The pick here is Seattle. Next on the docket, we have the 1-2 Titans taking on the 1-1-1 one, one one Colts in Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. Colts are three-and-a-half point favorites. Last week, the Titans defeated the Raiders 24-22, while the Colts defeated the Chiefs 20-17. Did these teams save their respective seasons with narrow wins over visiting AFC West teams? Possible, but... These teams are still playing with an air of desperation as fast as the Jags have gotten, gotten away in their division. I still think the Colts' defense is horrid, despite playing much better against a strong Chiefs offense. But I think the Titans' run, defense, run offense should be enough to get them the win. Pick here is Tennessee. 
Next on the docket, we have the 2-1 Bears. That's 2-1 Giants. Game being played at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. The Giants are three-point favorites last week. The Bears defeated the Titans 23-20, while the Giants lost to the Cowboys 23-16. The Bears get no, and I mean no, style points for their grinding offense, but it's near, near them a pair of home wins. And they travel to Gotham to face the Giants squad to show they were not ready for prime time and an ugly loss to the Cowboys. Now, the Bears will lean heavily on their run game to control the clock, but the G-Men have an effective run game to boot. And, though I loathe to say it, better passer than Daniel Jones. Ugh. Saying Daniel Jones is a better passer is a stretch to, to, to say the very least. But Danny Dimes and Saquon Barkley will do just enough to get the G-Men a narrow win to pick here the New York Giants. Next on the docket, we have the 2-1 Jaguars taking on the 3-0 Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Eagles are 6.5-point favorites. Last week, the Jaguars defeated the Chargers 38-10, while the Eagles defeated the Commanders 23-8. The Jags are raising eyebrows everywhere with a pair of surprising wins, the most recent a stunning route of the Chargers in L.A. Now, the Eagles are right where most pundits thought they would be, 3-0, and Jalen Hurts playing at an MVP level. Now, the Jags have been impressive, to be sure, but I think the two wins were against weak competition. Now, the Eagles at home are not a team to trifle with. They are a complete team, and the Jags are still trying to get to that level. I'm making Philadelphia my lock of the week. Next on the docket, we have the 1-2 Jets at the 1-2 Steelers. Game being played at Creasure Stadium in Pittsburgh. 1 o'clock kickoff on CBS. The Steelers are 3.5-point favorites. Last week, the Jets lost to the Bengals 27-12, while the Steelers lost to the Browns 26-17. Now, as expected, the Jets got one good game out of Joe Flacco. That was against Cleveland two weeks ago, though. He returned to his usual erratic form against the Bengals, and Robert Sala couldn't get Zach Wilson back into the starting lineup fast enough. That all said, it's not the time to face a rested, annoyed Steelers team that got throttled by the Browns. I think Steelers question QB question marks and all bounce back home to get the win. The pick is Pittsburgh. Next on the docket, we have the 2-1 Bills taking on the 2-1 Ravens at M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore. 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Bills are three-point favorites. Last week, the Bills lost to the Dolphins 21-19, while the Ravens defeated the Patriots 36-24. The Bills' atrocious clock management cost them a shot at beating the Dolphins in South Beach last week. They now have to face the whirling dervish that is Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. The Bills' magnificent defense has been weakened by injuries, and this is the wrong time to face a quarterback that has to be accounted for on every play. <laughs> that said, something tells me that the Bills will be one of the few teams that might be able to contain him, possibly win a shootout. The pick here is the upset of the week, pick the Buffalo. Next on the docket, we have the 1-2 Chargers taking on the 0-2-1 Texans, game being played at NRG Stadium in Houston, 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS, the Chargers are five-point favorites. Last week, the Chargers lost to the Jaguars 38-10, while the Texans lost to the Bears 23-20. Now, the Chargers played atrociously. I think it's the word of the week, atrocious. The examples have been numerous far and wide. They got throttled at home by the Jags. And the Jags, how do you get throttled at home by the Jags at home? But they hit the road to face a Texans team that has seemingly no clue how to close out games, especially close ones. Now, Justin Herbert is healthy. I have no doubt that the Chargers will carry the day. Herbert's health, however, is the question mark. Even being at home, I have no trust in the Texans. It'll be an ugly game for sure, but the Chargers do need this win to stay relevant in the AFC playoff picture. The pick here is... The Los Angeles Chargers. Next up, we have the. Oh, we hit the. Did we hit the wall yet? Yeah. 
you know what? We'll do the late, late games here in just a moment. This is Sportsman Rick. You are tuned in to Sports from the Hood Wood, the Internet's foremost location for opinion, analysis, and insight on the world of sports. Here now is the man banned from sports trivia contests in 38 states and four Canadian provinces, and not to mention Guam. Your host, KJ Green. Cardinals at the 1-2 and two Panthers. Game being played at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. 4-5 kickoff on Fox. The Panthers are one-and-a-half point favorites. Last week, the Cardinals lost the Rams 20-12, while the Panthers defeated the Saints 22-14. This is a pair of teams that are hard to figure out meeting up. Depending on which team shows up, it could mean the difference between a shootout, a blowout either way, or an airfield snooze fest. I don't know why I keep giving Baker Mayfield the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, he has underused Christian McCaffrey in his backfield. That's why I'm doing that. I think he'll be the critical difference in what I think is really a coin flip game. Pick here is Carolina. Next on the docket, we have the 1-2 Patriots at the 2-1 Packers. Game being played at Lambeau Field in Green Bay. 425 kickoff on CBS. The Packers are 9.5 point favorites. Last week, the Patriots lost to the Ravens 36-24, while the Packers defeated the Buccaneers 14-12. Now, the Packers won an ugly game in Tampa, and they at home and faced a struggling Pat squad that is getting harder and harder to figure out. The A-Rons, uh, Rodgers and Jones respectively, are an effective one-two punch, and playing at home never hurts. Now, the learning curve for Mac Jones is getting steeper and steeper by the week, and the Packers are, I beg your pardon, the Pats are suffering because of it. Pick here is Green Bay. Next on the docket, we have the 2-1 Broncos taking on the 0-3 Raiders. Game being played at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. 425 kickoff on CBS. The Raiders are two and a half point favorites. Last week, the Broncos defeated the uh, 49ers 11-10. 11-10, that's some score. And the Raiders lost to the Titans 24-22. Now, they didn't transpose Rockies giant slugfest score at Coors Field for the Sunday night score. The Broncos have to be the worst 2-1 team in NFL. The worst. And to think that they are Nathaniel Hackett brain fart from being 3-0 boggles the mind. Josh McDaniel <laughs> and the Raiders are turning out just to be the train wreck I thought they would. Josh McDaniels is fast proving again while how he can waste talent and is an absolutely clueless coach and has the title right now of the stupidest coach in the NFL. Is this a game anyone can win? People, anybody, anybody? Bueller, Bueller, I don't know. My instincts tell me otherwise, but I hope that Derek Carr can finally put the pieces together and get a win over a Broncos team that is doing it with mirrors. The pick is Las Vegas. Now, the Sunday night game with the 2-1 Chiefs, the 2-1 Buccaneers is still up in the air. They may play this game at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. 
They may play it in U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. We don't know. They still are determined at, at the time of this taping. So do check your local listings of where they're playing it. And if you look and say, wait a minute, that's a Viking stadium. Why are they playing there? It's because of Hurricane Ian. Either way, the game's being played at 820 on, on NBC, and the Chiefs are favored by a point. Last week, Chiefs lost to the Colts 20-17, while the Buccaneers lost to the Packers 14-12. Now, considering the factors that the devastation that Hurricane Ian has left makes this an even tougher game to call. The Bucks' offense is sputtering badly, but the defense, which has only given up 25 points total in three games, has won them two out of those three games this season. Now, the Chiefs look badly out of sorts in a puzzling loss to the weakling Colts. Now, the question basically is, can Patrick Mahomes solve Bucks' defense? Brady and company don't need many points to win games, but I'll go against better judgment and take the road team, especially if this game is on the road to Minneapolis. I think that neutralizes Tampa's home field advantage. The pick is Kansas City. Oh, man. Monday night game is the 2-1 Rams at the 2-1 49ers. Game being played at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California. 8:15 kickoff on ABC and ESPN. The 49ers are favored by one and a half points. Last week, the Rams defeated the Cards 20 to 12, while the 49ers lost to the Broncos 11 to 10. Now, the Niners lost a hideously ugly game to the Broncos. Now have to face Rams team that is recovering nicely from their opening night debacle loss. While Jimmy G. As the offensive reigns, he still has trouble with solid defensive units like the Rams possess. Though I think, though the game is at home, I think the Niners still will struggle to pick here of the Los Angeles Rams. And there you have it. Last week, I was 7-9 and nine with my lock and upset both incorrect. Overall, 24-23-1. One and two in locks and two and one on the upset. Excuse the other way around. But I'll endeavor to do better. Take a timeout, come back with the Hoodwood Hot Five, that that head slap, and the final word from the wood. Sports from the Hoodwood heads down the home stretch after this. Sports from the Hoodwood, the Internet's foremost location for no-nonsense commentary, insight, and opinions on the world of sports. Here now live in living color, black by popular demand, your host, K.J. Green. Running third and headed for home here in the Hoodwood. Let's finish up strong with the Hoodwood Hot Five, Fat Captain Head Slap, and the final word from the wood. Our Hoodwood Hot 5 will go back to the rankings this week because I say there's a shakeup in the Hoodwood Hot 5 rankings. Let's start from number 5. The teams in the Hoodwood Hot 5 have been shaken up, but the order has. Number 5 is Clemson, 
who survived a wild 51-45 shootout with Wake Forest and now have to deal with 10th-ranked NC State. I am openly rooting for NC State to win this game because if they knock off Clemson, guess who will have the number one longest streak, home winning streak in the country? That's right, the UC Bearcats. So I guess I got a little bias there. Number four is Michigan. They had a little trouble with Maryland. But they still remain unbeaten. This is the first time they didn't score 50 or more points. And they had their first road test going to Kinnick Stadium to take on Iowa. It'll be a real test for them if they can survive that. The way may be very well clear for them to run the table undefeated, even though they do still have Minnesota still on their schedule. Number three, here's another one of the shakeups here. It's Alabama. Alabama's been playing patty cake with teams for, for, for so long. Have they played a good team? They played one good team on the road, Texas, and nearly got beat. Now they go into conference and they go to Arkansas. Not an easy place to play, even though Arkansas has taken a loss. But Alabama had better watch out. Better take take care. Take care. Or they might get it. Finally, the number two team it is Georgia. Now you say, why do I move a team down when they when they won? They play Kent State and struggled. Kent State. Kent State, really? You can only beat Kent State by just that much? Come on. No. You get moved down. The number one team, as much as I loathe to give them any kind of dap, the Ohio State University. Their evisceration of Wisconsin bordered on criminal. Criminal. Now, Ohio State hasn't left the friendly confines of Ohio Stadium yet. They We'll have another patty cake team again to beat up on in Rutgers. But right now, they're winning games convincingly, though they have yet to have a road test. But right now, they're the number one team in the Hoodwood Hot Five. Before we get to Fat Dap and Head Slap, I want to make a quick correction. I I, uh, said in my NFL picks that I was not sure about the uh, Bucks-Chiefs game, if that game was going to be in... Uh, Tampa or moved to Minnesota, which was an uh, open viable uh, venue to be used, had the uh, effects of Hurricane Ian been more devastating to the Tampa area. But they are going to play that game in Tampa in Raymond James Stadium on the Sunday night game. And I still maintain my pick is going to be Kansas City. So that's just a bit of a um, bit of a programming note. For those who uh, may have been wanting to figure out where that venue was at. Let's go to the Fat Dap and Head Slap of the Week. Fat Dap of the Week. Now, I could give it to Albert Pujols for a 700th home run. Congratulations. Could give it to Aaron Judge. Hit his 61st home run in Toronto on Wednesday night. But the real Fat Dap will go to a little guy. And you know how I love to take care of the little guys. Kansas. Not the basketball team. The football team is 4-0 and after beating Duke uh, 35-27 in uh, Lawrence. And that matchup would have been titanic if it was in hoops. Kansas and Duke. The, you know, two heavyweights. But in football, their programs are also ranked. And to see both of them teams, and Duke came into the game 3-0 and themselves. But Kansas managed to to squeak out a victory, and they're unbeaten. Now, how long this can keep up? They still got to play Texas, even though they beat Texas last year. But they still have some some of the big boys in the Big 12 to deal with. But it's good to see Kansas, the little guy, getting up off the deck for once. The head slap of the week. (laughs) I could give it to Stephen F. Austin. For that 98 to nothing drilling over the NAIA team, uh, uh, Warner College, which I've never heard of. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I, if I'm somebody that way, I'm fighting. I'm, I'm getting that game, that game ended because y'all ain't going to humiliate me 98 to nothing. Now, I can't really speak from experience because my alma mater, University of Cincinnati, got drilled by Penn State 30 years ago, 81 to nothing. But that was a long time ago, and, and UC is not that weak anymore. 
but instead the head slap will go to the U. The U. University of Miami. How far had the Hurricanes fallen? They used to be a feared team, a nationally respected team, someone who was in the conversation for national championships every year. They would get teams like my beloved Bearcats or Middle Tennessee to come in and beat them like a rag doll. But instead, remember, my Bearcats hosted Miami in 2015 and beat them. Al Golden ended up getting fired for that. So they finally got a, uh, got a Miami guy in there, Mario Cristobal. But he has not been able to ride the ship. And the aforementioned Middle Tennessee State Blue Raiders, 20 and a half point underdogs. Yeah, they went into the, into Miami and thrashed the Canes 45 to 31. Since when does Miami get beat that bad by a, a, a Middle Tennessee State? Not taking anything away from the Blue Raiders. They did a hell of a job. But Miami giving up one big play after another, including scoring plays of 69, 71, and 98 yards. Miami, the U. For shame. Hang your head in shame. And now, without much further ado, let's go to the final word from the wood. You know, I love to travel for sporting events. I've seen football games in venues that seat over 100,000. And you haven't lived as a football fan until you've seen the sporting spectacles at Ohio Stadium, the big house in Michigan, or heard Rocky Top being sung full throw by the throng in Nyland Stadium, a venue that seats over 110,000. I've sat with the Bleacher Bums, Ed Wrigley, and dined with Bill's Mafia in Buffalo. I've had barbecue in Kansas City and had Southern hospitality in a number of SEC venues. By and large, most of the fans are fun, friendly, and accommodating. I've hung with perfect strangers that have made me feel like family just to watch sporting events. Now, I am also a season ticket holder of my beloved alma mater in football, and we in our section take great pride in friendly razzing of the fans of the opponent who may sit next to near us. It's good natured trash talking to be sure and at games in I always wish their fans safe travels back home win or lose. That said there are places that I would not go. I would never go to Philly or Detroit wearing Vikings colors and it's risky to do so in Green Bay. To be sure I've done the latter too and I've gotten the hostile treatment. Now, when the Vikings made a rare visit to Cincinnati to start the 2021 season to play the Bengals, I took a lot of heat wearing Vikings colors. And after the Bengals pulled out a 27-24 overtime win, I had more than a few drunken Bengals fans come up to me and yell F the Vikings in directly in my face. Now, I guarantee you, had the Vikings pulled out the win, there would have been a few drunken Bengals fans trying to pick a fight with me. Now, I root for who I want to, but it's not that crucial. Now, recently, there have been a rash of fights and skirmishes at sporting events between so-called fans. Now, there was a video that went viral of a Dolphins fan filming himself screaming epithets and profanities at departing Buffalo Bills fans out of Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. He claimed later in his defense that he saw Bills fans in Buffalo jump visiting fans in restrooms. Now, having been to Buffalo... I find that very hard to believe. Now, I was in Buffalo a number of years previous for a critical Dolphins-Bills game. And though there were a lot of rowdy fans, they didn't rise to the level of high belligerence. That said, the level of animosity toward fans of the opposing teams has risen to nasty levels. I get that sports is tribalism. Your hood against ours. Fewer things unite a community than rallying around a sports team. I've been at Nippert when the Bearcats have been playing good and bad and the fans live and die with their team. Now, Cincinnati was doubly blessed this past season when the Bengals made a surprise run to the Super Bowl. When the Bengals notched their first playoff win in over 30 years, I saw people visibly weeping in joy. Sports has the power to unite. And when a team gives a cause to unite, it can bind people in all walks of life, colors and creeds. All one had to do in the Cincinnati area last January, February, early February was to walk into any sports bar, restaurant, or tavern and shout, Who Day, and you get hollers and cheers in return. Now that said, that tribalism can get ugly, and fandom, while the lifeblood of any sport, can go overboard. The rise of social media 
and the chance to go viral has risen this to almost a toxic level. And people are out to prove that they are not only a fan, but that they are super fans dedicated to the cause. Now, fan is short for fanatic, and there are too many of that that are defining fanatic. That in itself is scary and depressing. It's the toxic, over-the-top fan that ruins the atmosphere of sporting venues and sporting events. It's those so-called fans like that that we need to keep a watch out for and vigilance against. In this day and age, sports is supposed to be the great escape, the great uniter over the, the uh, news of the day, a way to relax and bond, not to be toxic and regrettable. We need to do better. And that is the final word from the wood. With the music coming up in the background, you know that means your time in the hoodwood is just about done. I thank you so much for your visit again this week. If you'd like to send me an email, please do so. The email is kjgreen at blackbanditproductions.com. I try to respond in a timely fashion to questions, comments, show topics, and criticism. I try to get back to you as quickly and expeditiously as possible. The show airs weekly on a variety of podcasts and video platforms which include YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, uh, Amazon Music, uh, my goodness, I'm pretty much everywhere. So check your podcast listings for the time that's going to be shown in your area. Your podcast provider doesn't have it, demands what you live with. Try to get it to you I am also on Facebook, Black Band Productions and Enterprises, the show video version shows there, as well as Twitter. I'm on Twitter, of course, KJ Green 20, Black Band Productions and Enterprises, and the Twitter Thanks, as always, raise pictures for their executive production, the staff here at Black Band Productions, which includes Snuff and Benny in the background, like fighting all the time. I am KJ Green. Thank you so much for your time in the Hoodwood. And until next time, fellow sports fans. Sports from the Hoodwood is a Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises presentation of a 551 Audio and Films production.